0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. What we've hoped to do really over the last couple of weeks is just be be reminded of what, what we really believe the Lord has called all churches in all places to do, but then also talk through specifically how that plays itself out here at Sojourn. Um, and so, we've talked about sort of the, I guess, the three pillars of sojourn, uh, the gospel of Jesus, the church of Jesus, and today we're going to talk about um, the the mission of Jesus. Now, uh, before we get started, I do just want to give one disclaimer today. Today we are going to talk about, especially in sort of the final point, we're going to talk very specifically um, and practically about sort of how Sojourn sets itself up. Like this is kind of something that maybe normally you would hear in a in a more informal setting, like a like a covenant membership class. But I think it's valuable for us to be reminded of it. But what I what I don't want us to do, especially for those of us who have been around Sojourn for a while, uh, some of us who have maybe been at Sojourn from the beginning, um, is to is to hear these things talked about and think that that that's the only way to do things. Like right that, that there's 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 a tendency in it sort of in our hearts when we sort of align ourselves with a certain church maybe it operates in a way that we think is particularly valuable or particularly faithful to the scriptures there's a there's a sort of innate desire to look at what we do and say it's better than what they do and yet and yet the fact of the matter is that the lord uses all kinds of different churches in all kinds of different ways to display all kinds of the magnificence of his glory. and so let's let's step into these faithfully like let's let's strive after them because we really do we we believe that the lord has sort of nuanced our vision in this way like in particular for this season for this place. But let's never let that create in us a a broader disdain for what it is the Lord that is doing in all people, in all places, and in all times. Because the church of Jesus is much more than a brand name or a label. It's not a method, it's a message. And so we are doing our best to be faithful to that in our context in this way. But let's never let it develop into a sense of pride to where we can't serve alongside others with humility. So uh, let me uh, let me just say a quick prayer, um, and we will get started. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, we know that um, the gospel not only calls us individually out of darkness and into your marvelous light, but Lord, that it forms for itself a people. Uh, Lord, it forges for itself this people called a, a church. And Lord, it's through this church that you have chosen to make your glory known to the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, would you um, would you continue the good work that you've begun? And Lord, would we walk in it knowing that you are faithful to complete the good work that you've begun? And Lord, may we strive and hope to build only on the foundation that is Jesus, the one foundation that has been established for all time. Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, cool. So just before we jump into, to this week when we, as we talk about the mission, let me just kind of recap a little bit of where we've gone, right? So we, we talked the first week about the gospel and this whole series has been titled One. And the reason, the reason we've titled it One is because we believe that there's one gospel, that there's one church, that there's one mission that God has called all of his people into and, um, the, the things that I would like for us just to be reminded of before we jump into the mission portion of things is is simply this: right in the Gospel, we saw that 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 Jesus does a redeeming work in 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 his people right that, that it 's by the work of Jesus that God redeems people to himself, and that when when that happens, we get sort of a true or right understanding of ourselves, which means we 're then able to relate to one another appropriately, how we were always meant to relate to one another in peace, in harmony, right? So Jesus redeems us, Jesus unites us together as a people, and then Jesus also sends us, right? That's what the gospel, that's what the gospel work does in the heart of men and women who call upon the name of Christ for salvation. And then we saw last week that that, that uniting that happens and that sending that happens is not an isolated thing, Right so it's not an individual pursuit in which we're sort of all conquering our own respective areas for Jesus but that actually we are united into this body of people that the Bible calls the church and that and that Jesus uses that church in a really specific or particular way and that and that really the primary metaphor for the church is this idea that the church is a family like that by the redemptive work of Jesus we've been adopted into The the literal family of God, like that we share that bloodline, that heritage, right? And so we talked last week about how really what healthy families look like, right? So we went to John 17 and we drew out what we believe are some key characteristics of really the people of God, that, that a healthy family of Jesus, a healthy church loves one another, a healthy church provides for one another, a healthy church multiplies. And there's really sort of three things that I want us to, to look at. I want us to look at, um, I'll just name the points. We're going to talk about God on mission, we're going to talk about people on mission, and then we're going to talk about the church on mission. And so uh, my, my hope really is to gain a, sort of a theological understanding for, for why we should be committed to, the, to these things, but then move into the greatly practical of, of what does it look like for us to walk in these things. Right, to be committed to the mission, really, that, that we believe God has called all Christians right? to. And so um, let's just dive right in. We've been in John 17. For those of you that uh, aren't familiar with John 17, it's just a, a, an, an accounting of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his ascension to uh, the right hand of the Father. And where you find yourself now is, is a particularly tender place, in Jesus' ministry, like he's, he knows that he's about to be arrested. This is kind of his final prayer, his, his final plea on behalf of, of his people. Not just his people at that time, like the disciples, but also those who would come afterwards, right? So you and me. Um, and so what we're, what we're really seeing in this is just Jesus' very pastoral heart for his people. We're seeing what his desires for his people are. Would be, and so uh, we're going to draw straight from that. Now, when we talk about uh, the the mission of God, that uh, that language can can maybe seem kind of kind of interesting or foreign. Or um, I'm struggling to think of a good word, but um, it, it may just sound kind of interesting, right? So, so, if if God is on a mission, one, what is that mission? And two, what are the ends towards which He is on it, right? Like, how, how does that whole thing kind of work? And I think um, what, what we're endeavoring to do this morning is, is not only to see what is the mission that God is on, but how do we join him in it? Um, and so John 17, verse 1, I think, speaks of it most clearly. And this is where we're going uh, to pick up. This is Jesus. He, he lifts his eyes up to heaven, and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the sun may glorify you. We're just gonna we're just gonna stop right there. Um, now it, it it it's gonna seem like a broad leap for us to make this conclusion that I'm going to make from just one verse. But what we'll do, just know, is we'll back up and we'll kind of retrace this theme throughout Scripture. But what what I believe Jesus is saying here, and what really what we believe, I think it's sojourn, is that really the mission of God is to glorify Himself. And I think I think for some of us that that might cause a little bit of tension because it's like okay that sounds to me like that's selfish and like that's vain and like that's really sort of um, he, he's just kind of into himself um, and and hopefully what we'll see as we just kind of talk through the narrative of the Bible one um, is is that that's appropriate and two um, that. That it's actually like that; it's feasible that that's actually what's taking place here um, in the scriptures. And so let's just kind of take a walk. I mean, we talked about um, we talked about Genesis uh, in the first week about how the Lord created all things good, right? That He created them in harmony. That there was that there was a sense, it, not just a sense, but there was a, a tangibility to the perfection and the peace and the harmony which reigned and ruled in the garden. Right, that we were actually created for communion with God, that we walked with him in the garden, right? And really, the the biggest part of the mandate or sort of the most clear uh, part of this idea that, that God created things for his glory is when he said, let us make man in our own image. And then he tells them this, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. So we were created in the image of God with the glory of God in order to do what? To populate, to saturate, to fill the earth with his glory. I think that's, what, that's what was intended. That was what we were created for. And of course, we saw, like, you know, Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, something happens, right? So for a while there, they were naked, they were unashamed. And then something weird happens, and in chapter 3, they're now naked and ashamed, right? They, they've, essentially, what has happened is they've exchanged the glory of God for the shame of self glory. Like we tried it and it turned out to be bad. Right? And at that moment we saw, we talked about this at length, so I'm not going to go over it in great detail, but we saw a fracturing of that harmony. Right? That the presence of God, the palpable presence of God, like the communion that we would have experienced underneath that reign and rule was now exchanged with a world in which God said, you can have what you want. You're welcome to be your own ruler. We'll see how that works out. And while it's, while it's tempting to look at this as if God is sort of passive and hands off, the truth is that he is in his sovereignty, navigating things towards his own glory, right? Because what comes to pass is that Jesus arrives on the scene and he speaks these verses from John chapter 17, verse one, and he says, I have come, I have come, so what, that they might glorify you. Right now we don't we don't have the 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 rest of the story yet in John 17. Right, if you read the rest of the book, what you'll see is that is that Jesus goes to a cross and dies a sinner's death, and then three days later he he rises in victory over what we believe is Satan's sin and death. That all of those things which have plagued us that really are a a a result of the curse that initial choice in the garden. That all of those are solved in, redeemed in, made new in the person and work of Jesus. And so what, what we begin to see is that God created things for his glory. We fell, and that's not, that's not sort of a surprise to him, right? But that he sent Jesus. It says the hour has come, right? It's now, this is when it was supposed to happen. I am here. I'm on the scene for what? In order that I, I might reestablish this gracious reign and rule. Like that we might actually step into, again, the glory of God. What we were created to do. That we might bear His image as we were created to do. So we see glory established in creation. We see it fallen all throughout the, really the Old Testament. But then we, we hear tales of a promise that that glory will be restored. And we, we see, hear, Jesus saying, I am the way, I am I am the manner in which that glory will be restored. And if you if you've read sort of uh the majority of the Bible, you come to the conclusion of it and really Revelation, that that whole book that creates a lot of sort of um confusion and issues, all it's about is that God's glory will be re- like fully restored, fulfilled. Like so so that's what's happening here. That's the arc of the story. Like that's that's what you find yourself wrapped up in, and Jesus places himself firmly into this narrative that that God is about his glory. That that's why he created all things. That even in the fall, that's how he operates all things. And that he's redeemed all of it through Jesus. And that one day he will finally and fully fulfill the, the extent of his glory which is pleasing to him. That that is the mission of God. Mutual, eternal, glorification, right? So the question then becomes, or the question that we then have to ask is, what is it it that brings God glory, right? What is it that accomplishes this mission? Well, John 17, 2 through 5, read like this. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, him being Jesus, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So this this mission of God to glorify himself is rooted in now in the person and work of Jesus on our behalf. How is it then that, that we are sort of invited into this work, right? How do we play a part in that? How are we not just sort of passive agents that 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 Jesus sort of says, "I'm going to give those whom I will give eternal life, and I will receive glory from that." All right? Verse twenty two in John seventeen says this: "The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one." So here's the thing: God is on a mission to share eternal glory, and he invites us to share in that through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And this is why we are called to make disciples. And so you're like, wait a minute, how do we just make that leap? We're talking about, we're talking about God's glory, we're talking about how God is orchestrating all that through the person and work of Jesus, and now you're going to just sort of lump make disciples in there on me. Well, what we read in Matthew 28, 18, it's the very end of that book, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's key. And then he says this, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And if that feels heavy, he then relieves the tension by saying, and surely I will be with you until the end of the age. I don't know why we always leave that part out. Like we take the command and we don't take the comfort that, that comes along with the command. But lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Because look, God gets glory when people share in this eternal life that Jesus has provided. Like that, that's what's happening when we talk about making disciples. So it's not just it's not just sort of a command, a burden that we're supposed to bear because it's like, well, this is just what I do to follow Jesus. I'm not 100% sure why. I'm not 100% sure how this helps anything, but I'm going to do it because I'm sort of duty-bound to God. And while that might play a part in it, like, look, let's, let's back out to 30,000 feet and look at what it is that is actually taking place. That when we make disciples like that when people come to know Jesus God's glory is extended. Right? Like that that's that's what we're being invited into, right? That's what Jesus Jesus is praying to God the Father and he's saying, "Share with them this glory. Let's bring this family in. Bring this family together underneath the glorious gracious reign and rule of God and as disciples are made, look, that kingdom, that family extends, God receives more glory. That's why Jesus can look at his work that he's about to to go to, about to accomplish, and say with confidence, look, I have glorified you on earth. Now glorify me in your presence, and may we share in glory with those who come after. So this this is the mission of God. The mission of God is about giving God glory, and you've been invited into that through the person and work of Jesus. Now, um, so we've talked a little bit about this, the, the mission of God. Let's talk about people, um, people on mission. Um, we've talked a little bit about how we've been invited to share in that glory, but how are we also invited into that work, Right? I mean, like, so. So when Jesus um, calls his his followers disciples, it's because they share in his work, right? So if if we would consider ourselves in this room followers of Jesus, that means we follow in his work, right? And I think John seventeen verse eighteen makes that pretty clear for us. It says this: "As you sent me, that's Jesus, into the world, so I have sent them in." to the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So look Jesus came making disciples, right? I mean that's really one of the first things that that we see in terms of Jesus's ministry. Like he's just kind of looking around and like, all right, you you want to follow? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm just going to drop everything. I don't know, I don't know how that transaction worked, um, but You know, if a homeless guy came up and asked me that question, I don't know how motivated I would be. Let me just put it that way. And yet Jesus came making disciples, and Jesus gave us the command to go and make more disciples. And so there must be something to this making disciples thing, right? If if there's the image of the invisible God, which we believe Jesus is, not only does this thing, but then tells us, explicitly to follow him in it, then there must be something to it. And I think the conclusion that we arrive at is that if God is about God's glory, then God gets glory by people making disciples. So here's what I would, I would hope for us to do. I think there's a couple of things that, that we can take from this, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this because uh, I do want to get to where we're headed, but what we begin to see in, in the Bible, I think if we if we look at the Bible with the lenses that, that I'm trying to sort of help us see it through um, here and now, we begin to recognize that the Bible is not primarily about us. Does that, does that make sense? So it's not primarily a moral code or ethic. It's not primarily uh, a handbook for life. It's not primarily tips for health and prosperity, right? That we can just sort of give a passing glance to and then tack our advice on top of it and sort of package it real nice and neat. But that what, what the Bible is really all about is about God's glory and how we now have been invited to share in it. right? So, so while the gospel is, I mean while the Bible is for us, it's not necessarily, or primarily or holistically simply about us. Does that make sense? Many of us read the Bible with sort of the, the me lens on, right? Like, how does, how does, what does this mean for me? How does this affect me? How do I deal with this? And yet, what it's supposed to do is to move us into a place where we can say, this is not in any way, shape, or form about me. It's about what God has done for me and what he now purposes to do through me by his grace. Um. So rather, rather than sort of um, the, the, the dominant sort of cultural narrative for, for, for most you know, people who, w- who would not consider themselves followers of Jesus, and even for a lot of people who do consider themselves followers of Jesus, your, your life is sort of this, um, this venture in having everyone and everything in the world aligned in such a way that it serves your ultimate end and pleasure. Does that make sense? So um, we're trying to bring people in line with what's best for me, right? And, 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 and when those people or when those things don't serve that purpose, those things become expendable, right? Those relationships become expendable. Those, uh, whatever it might be becomes expendable in the name of, again, aligning all things around your comfort, your glory, your pursuits, whatever that might be. And a lot of us tend to come to the scriptures with that in mind, and yet, what the scriptures really are, are not something that have been given in order to conform us to the world, but to transform us by the renewal of our mind. Like that what's taking place when we look at the scriptures, that God is bringing us into line with his story, right? And so... um, when we gather together on Sundays and when we open the Word of God, it's because we want to be people who are being brought in line with the end for which God made all things, which is His glory, right? So so here's what I would say. Um, we're talking about, we talked about God on mission, we're talking about people on mission. Now God does an individual work in people, does He not? Like, for those of you that are believers in the room this morning, you have at some point, I'm assuming, experienced like the... The, the the presence of God, you understood the gospel for what it was. You placed your hope on that gospel, on that truth. Right? He's done a work in you, and and this gospel absolutely reorients our lives individually. And yet, in order to be people on mission, we're we're called into a really a church on mission, right? Uh, uh, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as uh the the letters uh, that Peter wrote would say, so look, Jesus changes these individuals, he sends these individuals on mission, but he sends them on mission in the context of the church. And right, so what I want to do just to just to kind of reinforce this point, I think I've quoted this particular portion of scripture um over the last two sermons, and so I want to read it just so that you know that I'm not making something up, but Ephesians chapter three. Um, verse 7, uh, what's happening here is Paul is explaining that, that there's this mystery that's been revealed, right? That, that where sort of the, the mission of God, what God wanted to accomplish, the story that God was weaving had been unclear, that now it was clear because of the work of Jesus. And this is what he says, of this gospel, right? So of this mysterious gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And this is the the key verse, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So look, God not only gains glory when individuals are rescued by the person and work of Jesus, but also when they are then brought into this community, this body called the church through which he plans to make his manifold wisdom known. Right? That it's through the church that he's, that he's going to do that. Like, this is according, as he says in verse 11, according to the internal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, listen to this. Whether you belong to this church or to another local church, the fact of the matter is that you belong to the local, I mean, the universal church, and that was purposed in eternity. And when we sing in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about the church having a, a, essentially a victory march. That it's, a, it's just one perpetual victory march because, again, we see that what God decrees comes to pass. And so just, just like we were talking about earlier, this glory that was established, then lost, but has now been redeemed in Jesus, will be fulfilled finally by Jesus. This, and he's going to use the church to do that. That's what he's going to do. And so um, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be um, a church on mission. Um, just very, very practically, all right? Um, we're we're going we're to break down the entire mission and vision of Sojourn here in just a few minutes, and that might sound daunting, but but we'll make it happen quickly. Um, but but I want to say this, a huge, a, a huge reason um, that, that we use especially the, the verbiage plant churches and the reason that we're committed to planting churches, the reason that we save money and put aside money to plant churches is because we really do believe that strategic church planting is the best way, and notice the way I said that, not the only way, but the best way to reach non-Christians and leave a lasting gospel presence. So those two go together in that statement, right? There might be other ways that are are. Potentially better to to reach non-Christians, but it might not leave a lasting gospel presence. Okay, so just read that phrase again so that we're very clear on that. The best way to reach non-Christians and leave a lasting gospel presence, we believe, is strategic church planting. The the fact of the matter is, if we can just be very honest in this room and take a sober account of our lives, in a hundred years everyone in this room will be dead unless you have some psycho-weird gene in you that, not psycho, I mean, I guess that's kind of cool. But unless you have some strange gene, right, like, you're not going to last much longer than that. And yet, by planting churches, we can ensure that there is a gospel legacy that reaches people a hundred years from now. Like, by doing those things, by establishing the church of Jesus on the foundation that is Jesus, the only foundation upon which the Lord intends to build, But it's by doing that that we will ensure that there is gospel legacy for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. I made it through that one. (laughs) So look... we believe that this is what Paul did. I mean, that's really what, what the collection of books in the New Testament is just really all about. Just read the Acts, the, the book of Acts, right? Um, they're going, they're establishing churches, and lasting gospel presence remains behind generation after generation, so much so that what was really a Middle Eastern sort of Mediterranean sea religion or religious sect became something that now influences the, every, every corner of the world. But let me say this, and I'm just going to take a kind of a quick moment aside, and i'll try not to go too far on it, but what this doesn't mean, like this sounds very singular, right? Like we're all about church planting, that's what we 're going to do and so it sounds as though, okay, so we're about church planting to the exclusion of all, all all sort of the other different issues that really I think that churches should be about social social reform, education um, uh, the arts um uh, the, the cause of the fatherless, the cause of the widow, like caring for, um, for the social issues of our day, right? Like it sounds as if those maybe are, are in opposition, and the, and the truth is that they're not. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in other causes. It just means we believe that the gospel is both the impetus and the solution for stepping into those causes. We hope to be a church that, as we grow, steps into gospel-informed social reform, gospel-empowered ministries of compassion, gospel-saturated endeavors in the arts. We want Houston to be a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth, not just for believers, but also for non-believers. So that's going to necessitate that we step into these issues with humility and with gospel hands and hearts ready to serve. But we believe that that that's best going to take place through planting churches that are committed to those things. And so um, we, we know that if we want Houston to be a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth, like, that means that we, we need to be a church that strives for, for what Revelation 5 tells us about, right? No, no tears, no sickness, no strife, right? Every, every pain and evil we've long endured, we will seek to have it crushed by Christ our king, right? And so we we definitely want to step into all of the brokenness, all of the broken areas of our city. But can we just acknowledge one thing? Like establishing this kind of presence, establishing this kind of ministry in and through the church is gonna take time. Look, I know I know there's some of us in the room, you guys have been here since day one, and we've talked about this over and and over and over again. And, and here we are a year later, and you're like, I don't even know that I see much tangible evidence of us being about what we say we're about. And that's creating some frustration for you, maybe. Maybe a little bit of despair, or maybe some cynicism about, about what we really are trying to do here. And look, let's just be very honest. Just like a, just like a one-year-old can't clean, feed, bathe itself, and talk and walk, this baby church is going to struggle to do the same things. Like, time is a necessary ingredient to what we hope to do. It's not something that we can just sort of genie make happen. Like, all right, here we are. We're fully established, fully set up. We've got everything we need to do, all the things that we want to do. Like, we just don't. And yet, what we can do is step in to what we can step into with what we have now and we can prayerfully consider what it is that the Lord would have us to do in the future and we can long for and look to the day when we are able to, to walk and maneuver in those spaces in a way that that leaves lasting impact for the gospel in Houston. But, but let's just acknowledge our frustration and be willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to press in rather than press away because, and this is, okay, another side, sorry. This is the, the prevailing issue, I think, with with the way that people like me, um, and, and really, I think, just our generation sees the world, right? We all see an ideal. Like, this is the standard. This is the ideal. If things operated well, this is what they would look like. This is We all have kind of a vision of what that looks like. What is the ideal sort of living situation for me, for this world, for politics, for society, for education, for all, right? We've all got it all figured out. And yet reality is somewhere down here. And this gap that's in between produces in us a deep cynicism, a deep criticism, right? Right? Like more often than it provokes us to action, it provokes us to disdain. And maybe I'm just talking about myself, you know, but if I had to venture, I would imagine that a lot of us have felt those feelings. Whether you stepped into a job thinking it was going to be like this, and the reality is it's this, so you are cynical and angry towards your job. Or whether you got married recently and you thought it was supposed to be like this, and it's like this, and you're wondering about this gap. And yet, look, Every single situation that you walk into in your life, there's going to be an ideal and there's going to be a reality. And there's always going to be a a gap. It might be this much, it might be this much, but it doesn't matter. It's going to grate against you. And you will have one of two options. You can press into that gap and try to make it a little bit smaller, or you can leave and make it worse. Those Those are the options. And look, I think that what the gospel causes us to do, like when it calls us to be patient with one another, when it calls us to be long-suffering with the church, when it calls us to operate with gentleness and and with patience towards those who doubt, that's that's what we're being called into. Because look, you and I have a promise that this gap is going to be destroyed, that that gap will disappear like that one day it will actually be a place in which peace reigns in which justice reigns in which mercy reigns in which love reigns and so look you don't get to you don't get to say there's a gap there now I'm just going to cut out and wait till it gets up here like no you press into that with all of the energy that, that Christ works in you, right? That's Colossians chapter 1 at the end of that chapter. What does Paul say? He's like, it's for this reason that I toil, that I struggle with all of his energy and passion that works so powerfully in me. That's the same thing that you and I have been called to do. If we are, if we are Christians in the room, we are the eternal optimists. Because look, the Bible tells us that we have a hope that is without shame because it's it's not a hope that we're going to have that's not going to be met like it's a hope that's going to be met with rejoicing on the day that it's fulfilled. Okay, sorry. Um yeah, uh <laughs> let's talk about sojourn. Um <laughs> weird transition. We'll just e-break um and and do this. But so really, let's talk about specifically then what it looks like like practically for us as sojourners to step into what we believe the Lord has called us to do, which is to make much of His name, to glorify Him in and through the work of the gospel, the, the, the work of the church, and the work of the mission, right? Um, so there's three things, really, that, that we, uh, of course, three, um, that we would commit ourselves to as a church. We want to we make disciples, we want to multiply parishes, and we want to plant churches, Right? Like those are, if, there's, if there's three things that we, that we could do exceptionally well, those are the things that we want to do exceptionally well. And of course, underneath each of them, um, what you'll see are sort of flavors or, or tastes of or hints of this idea of gospel church mission, right? Make disciples, gospel, multiply parishes, let's build the church, plant churches, let's be about the mission of Jesus. And then underneath that, we're, of course, going to have three things underneath each of them that we believe if we do them like regularly, consistently, um, that God will honor them. And look, it does, so just know this. this is not some, uh, some perfect structure, um, and it's not just because we do these things doesn't mean that it's sort of a conveyor belt situation where, okay, do this, einight dry, and then out pops this, you know? kind of thing That's not what we're saying, but we do believe if we're faithful to these things that the Lord will use it for his glory in and through making disciples, in and through multiplying parishes, and through planting churches. And so let me just dive right in real quick. Um, Underneath make disciples, there's three things that we want to do. We want to build relationships with others. We want to expose those relationships to Christian community, and then we want to share the gospel with them, right? So we want to build relationships with people, right? Jesus came building relationship. Hey, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm coming to your place for dinner right? Hey, you with the fishing nets, come, follow me, right? Jesus isn't sitting sort of on a rock, just kind of like, hopefully somebody wants me to tell them about me, you know? <laughs> I hope maybe somebody will just kind of wander by and strike up conversation. Like, no, like, intentionally came, incarnated himself, took upon himself flesh, right? Like, went to that degree of commitment to engage us in relationship. That's the gospel. We're going to build relationships in light of that. We want to expose them to the Christian community, right? Like when Jesus says, come and follow me, it's not just come and follow me and we're going to have just me and Jesus time all the time. It's no, you also get to hang out with these 11 other jacked up disciples and about 5,000 other people that still don't get it, right? Like that's what he's inviting them into experience, like to experience the community of, of, of grace. Ephesians three ten through the church the manifold wisdom of God will be made known when we live as this united people in Christ like that's part of what has been purposed from eternity past through the work of Jesus and then we want to share the gospel with them right like that's important you know the whole the whole uh, um, uh, I can't even remember the quote now but it's the Saint Francis one does anybody remember it um, preach the gospel always if necessary use words lame. Um yeah. Yeah, one lame because he actually never said that. Two lame. <laughs> Two lame because it misses the entire the, the entire thing. Look, Jesus came with deeds and with words. Jesus came healing and he also said repent for the kingdom is at hand. Okay, so we want to share the gospel both in word and in deed. And let me say this. And for those of you who have been uh, maybe members for a while or have been around Sojourn for a while, our temptation is going to be to put those in a specific order, right? So first we build a relationship, then we expose the Christian community, then we share the gospel. And let me just, I'm just going to mess your world up for a minute and tell you that, look, the order of those things is utterly unimportant. Because Jesus both built relationships to share the gospel, and he shared the gospel to build relationships right like he saw those things happen in reverse order all the time whether it's the woman at the well let me get to know you let me let me you know tell me about yourself okay i'm the living water or whether it's repent the kingdom is at hand oh cool you want to talk about that let's go talk about that and so look what what i'm what i'm not saying is look we're still committed to long-term, low-key, relational evangelism, like inside relationships, but let's not let those words become a crutch that allow us to sort of be, uh, be shy about the gospel. Like, that let's be bold with the good news of Jesus. Like, for some people, it's just going to take time, and for some people, it's like, you're going to share the gospel, and they're going to come to Jesus right then and there, because that's the way the Spirit works. But be open to those things. Okay, so under making disciples, we want to build relationships, expose the Christian community, and share the gospel. Being patient with those who doubt, right, as Jude would exhort us to. Second thing we want to do, multiply parishes, right? So um, why do we do that? Well, if we believe that um, the church is a family and we believe that the, when the church operates as a family, that it's a defense of, an apologetic for the truth of the gospel, then we want to multiply the presence of God's glory, right? It's as simple as that. It sounds very sort of pioneering and, and, and uh, imperialistic maybe, right? And yet that's not, we're about God's glory and we believe that God's glory is revealed in and through the gospel, working in and through his people. And so we want to multiply parishes. And the way that we do that is we equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right? Like that's, that's really primarily why the, why, the, why the church exists beyond giving God glory. Right? It's that we might be trained in order to do that so that he might receive glory. So Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that he's given the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the teachers, the pastors, in order that the saints might be equipped for the work of ministry. We believe that that happens inside of a parish. Right? Because for all the equipping that I can do here on a Sunday, unless the rubber meets the road on Monday, it's just empty knowledge. And so look, when we talk about the parish being a place where we practice what we preach, that's meaningful. We want to, we want to be equipped as God's sent people. We want to equip, obviously, with the gospel. The second thing we want to do in our parishes is share our leadership, right? The Bible tells us that it's not just the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the shepherds, but that there's also people in our midst who by the Spirit have been gifted as evangelists, as encouragers, as exhorters, as as all of these varieties of spiritual gifts in order that the church might be built up like to its completion, that it might walk in maturity, right? So your presence is necessitated not only in the parish, but as someone who takes stake in the parish. And we believe that as these parish leaders share their leadership, that that people will actually be equipped to go and do the same thing, to lead other parishes. And then the third thing that we want to do is plan to send people, right? Like we want to be intentional. Like Jesus Himself says, "The hour has come. Like this is the time. This is the plan. This is coming. I knew about it from the beginning. I was intentional in in this. I took upon flesh. I've done all of these things. I've," He says in verse seventeen. I think it's verse seventeen of John. Let me double check before I tell you something wrong. Um, But no, sorry, it's verse nineteen. He says, "For their sake, I consecrate myself." Right? Like Jesus saying, I've set myself apart for this time, for this place, for this specific reason. And when we read in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, we see that the Lord has done the same with us. Like that He's determined the boundaries in which we live, not only in terms of space boundaries, but in terms of time boundaries in order that some might seek him and that some might find him. So we should consecrate ourselves, right? We can go back to Romans chapter 12 and, and begin to understand what it means to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, so we plan We plan to send, right? Now, let me just give you some understanding of the reason we chose the word perish. Because I think for a lot of people... That's one an an unfamiliar word, and two, if you are familiar with it, it might be negative, um, in the sense that it's kind of linked with a broad tradition. Um, But what it was not about was let's just find a cool old name that sounds hip. And what it what it really was was that at the time of the parish, and which it still uh, in some places exists a parish the reason or the reason it was called that or or what was sort of understood in that naming was that not only did that parish or that people that existed there know their geographical responsibility but everyone in that geography knew this is the church in my geography that makes sense and so what we'd hope to do or what we want to do we want our parishes to be outposts for the gospel right like We want to be intentional when we send people and say, look, there is no gospel presence here. We want to take responsibility for this geography, and we want to labor to the end that everyone in this geography now looks at us and says, that's the church in our geography. That's the reason we chose um, parish, and that's the reason we, we must you know, plan to send. It can't just be something that we sort of hope to happen. Although I think it will happen sometimes inadvertently, like if we plan to do that, um, we'll be more faithful in our witness. Um, and anyway, I'll I'll let that one rest. But that's what we want to do with uh, multiplying parishes. And then when we talk about planting churches, there's three things we want to do there as well. We want to recruit people boldly. Right? This is why we have a church planting residency where we train um, men and women to be um, part of of church plants, right? Like uh, not only to lead, but also to, um, to join in the work of, of planting churches. Look, we want to recruit boldly because we believe the gospel compels us, right? Like that our cause is actually worthy. Like if Jesus said, this is something, or not Jesus said, I mean, he just did it. If, if this cause, this mission was worth him dying for, then surely it is also worth us taking it upon ourselves to cast a vision and say, we need you to come and help plant this church. We need qualified men to be elders. We need qualified men and women to be deacons. We need people to get on the ground and to love and serve people. Like We, we need faithful men and women in the gospel to love and serve their neighborhood. Like, so we're going to recruit people boldly towards that end. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to develop people holistically for that, right? We have church planting residencies. We have neighborhood parishes in which we're sharpened together as men and women to go and do the gospel work, right? We want to develop people for or towards this end, right? So if you're at Sojourn, like Sojourn is not a safe place for you. There, there could very well come a day when we say, look, hey, we're starting a new church over here. You should really consider leaving. Not because we don't like you, but because those people need Jesus. And the third thing we want to do is we want to send generously, right? So we wanna we wanna set ourselves up financially in a way where we can support this good work of ministry. We don't wanna just we, we don't wanna just send people generously with money though. We wanna send them generously with people. We wanna send them generous with resources, like all, everything that we have is open for someone else to take kind of and and do the same thing. We want this to be about God's glory, not about again, perpetuating sojourn as great as we may think that sojourn is. So, um, in, in conclusion, I know I've got to wrap this up because it's getting late, but um, last week we kind of closed out saying that for, for us to embrace this vision of seeing Houston be a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth, right, a place in which we are less like strangers and more like family, that we would have to embrace something that we, we call here the gospel goodbye. Right, like That we would be willing to part with one another and other things in order to see the good work of the gospel continue. I just want to expand on that a a, a little bit and just remind us that um, this mission that God has called us to, to is going to wrest from us many a different thing. Whether it's relationship, whether it's disposable income, whether it's that dream of life that you had that was totally different from what you're living now. Whether it's that, you know, the, the house in the suburbs, whatever it might be. And yet, at the very heart of the gospel is, is a goodbye, right? I mean, the, the, the Lord Jesus himself says goodbye to the eternal family that he found himself in. In order that we might say hello. Right, like that's, that's what happens there. That Jesus experiences a goodbye so that we can experience a hello, a hello to the glorious grace and presence of God Himself. And look, you and I get to experience the same goodbye knowing that we get to experience this, or that we get to offer the same hello. And let me just say this one day, brothers and sisters, if you're in this room and this scares you, or this maybe doesn't make sense, Look, one day this sojourn, this journey, this mist of a life will come to an end and we'll never have to say goodbye to, to, to one another ever again. And so look, in those parishes where, where you don't want to multiply because you're comfortable and, and you've got your circle of friends, you've got these people that have invested in you, they've spurred you on towards love and good deeds, we're going to ask you to say goodbye, not because we, we want to break up a good thing, but because we're chasing a better thing. And that's God's glory and not our comfort. And the same thing is going to be true when, when it comes time to say, we're planting a church, we need, we need 15 or 20 of you to go with them. And yeah, that means you're going to move out of Montrose, and it means you're going to take upon yourself these you know these different burdens. But it's not, it's not without reward, in that you have been invited to share in the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So that's what we find ourselves in, and that's what we live willing to embrace, knowing that the mission is worth it because Jesus is worth it, that the mission is worth it because Jesus showed us its worth by his life, death, and resurrection, and the mission is worth it because it is the chief end towards which the world heads. Let's pray.